All right, everyone, my name is Mike Dice. We have a special episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. We have Titan FC flyweight champion Jose Shorty Torres in office uh, talking to us in studio, I should say, talking to us. Um, he has a big fight coming up. We want to talk about that. We want to talk about his roots in Chicago and some of his work with children. So first of all, uh, you're in Chicago. You're from Chicago. Where'd you grow up in the city? Uh, so I grew up in the south side by the Post neighborhood. I lived in uh, the McKinley Park neighborhood. Uh, and I lived there for about 10 years, and then I moved to Berwyn after my parents split for about maybe two years, and then I ended up in Cicero, and that's where I currently stay today, and I've lived there for 14, you know, 14 to 13 years now, and that's pretty much where I call home, you know, but everything, that's, that's all I do, man, is, is represent my home, Cicero in Chicago. What was your, your childhood like growing up? Um, yeah, I'm not going to give a sob story and say it was, it was tough because in the neighborhood I was at, almost every child had the same type of story. The families involved in gangs or in the mob or, or graffiti, and there's, there's always problems growing up, whether you're going to lead through the right path of you know, getting out of the neighborhood or trying your best to get out of the neighborhood and be a role model, or you're going to stay in the hood and you know, end up going through that path of drugs and drinking and, and probably gangbanging and worse. And that's where a lot of my friends ended up going. And sadly, when I was 16, you know, I was slowly progressing into that myself, but because of my father, my brother, and even my mother trying to take me and get me out of the neighborhood and take me to martial arts and all these extracurricular activities with sports, um, that's what pretty much saved my life. And where I'm at today, Combat Doe, with Master Bob Shermer is what, what got me out of that neighborhood, giving that mindset that, hey, I can do something more in my life instead of just being like my family in a sense. So... I was going to ask how you got into martial arts. It was just kind of your parents seeing what you were interested in and trying to find something to keep you occupied. So the funny thing with that is, and given this is a little childish still today, uh, when I was four years old, I used to watch a lot of Dragon Ball Z, Power Rangers, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee. And naturally, the only way I saw them fighting for good was to fight, you know, like physically. So naturally, when I was young, I just, they were my role models. So I always wanted to fight with my brother, fight with my dad, just have fun, play fight. And I was a very hyperactive child, so they put me in karate. I did Shotokan karate, eventually got my black belt in that. And then I kind of I saw WEC back in the day with mm-hmm. Uri Faber, Joseph Benavides, and I never saw small people fight. You know, it was always you know the UFC with Matt Hughes and all these giant guys. So I was like, ah, oh, it's it's not a small small guy type of sport. And I saw Joseph Benavides go in there. And I was like, this guy's fighting Miguel and Hattoras. That's that's five nine, almost six feet. And he's beating them up. This is awesome. If he could do it, I could do it. And, and Joseph Benavides is an inch smaller than I am. So I was like, oh, man, I can do it too. So when I was 16, I ended up joining Combat Doe, and that changed my life around. If it wasn't for that, um, you know, I was a class clown. I was that guy who graduated with 2.0, I think maybe even a 1.8, and uh, academic probation when I finally got to college, stuff like that. So um, if it wasn't for Combat Doe to finally give me that responsibility and show that I can actually do something in my life besides fighting or just besides being in a neighborhood and possibly working McDonald's still today, then, you know, I, I'd be somewhere else. So have you talked to Joseph Benavides about this story? Actually, yeah. He, the funny thing was he laughed about it. He laughed about it. He thought I was lying to him. Um, so on December 2nd, two weeks before that, I was training for my fight against Pedro Nobre, which was supposed to happen then. Um, and he was there with... Uh, um, he was getting ready for his fight with Henry Cejudo after the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Tim Elliott was getting ready for his fight with Demetrius Johnson. Juan Archuleta was getting ready for King of the Cage for his third title bout, which has never been done before. The guy has a belt in 35, 145, and 155, which is awesome. Um, TJ was there, and just so many other people. So when I, I ended up doing a ride alone with Joseph Benavides, I was like, hey, man, I got a, I got a small confession to make. Like, I'm not even lying to you. I'm a little fanboy. You were one of the reasons why I started MMA. And he's like, ah, I'll get out of here, man. Like, he's, he's an extremely humble and nice guy. He's really, really funny. And uh, 
I was kind of confessing, like, seriously, you, you, you're my favorite, a lot of the Team Alpha Male guys, because you all, all were so small, um, you guys are the reason why you, like, gave me the motivation to get up and do it, like, hey, if this, these shorties can do it, then so could I, and that's why I use that motivation today of saying, like, if this shorty can do it, why can't you, you know, so he, he laughed about it a little bit, he's like, ah, you're just lying to me, but uh, I'm pretty sure he got the message, though. You know, they always say uh, be, you shouldn't meet your heroes because that image could ruin for you, but it kind of worked out in a mm-hmm. good way for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, overall, whether whether or not, you know, let's say he could have been uh, the complete opposite person, you know, that I thought he was, he still helped me become the man who I am today. You know, he might have not deliberately guided me, but he gave me that, you know, he was a pioneer, you know, at the time for the small guys. You know, so he helped set the ground for people in the UFC that are today, like Demetrius Johnson and so many more. So, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have the opportunity that I have. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a pioneer for myself and many other people. Now, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you're fitting us in between engagements, speaking at schools, and you carry a special message to it. Like, talk to us about how that, how did you get into that? Is that something someone asked you to do? Is that something you just wanted to do? So, you know, I do a lot of interviews and I do a lot of, like, in-person stuff, but when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a father, I always wanted to be a big brother and a mentor, and while growing up, I believe when I was 18, um, I got invited to be a volunteer coach at the Little Mustangs, which was my high school feeder program for wrestling. Um, and those kids there were just, you know, little kids growing up doing a wrestling program. Two of those kids uh, were the coach's sons, or at least adopted kids. Um, and there were orphans growing up, one of them being born in Chicago, having, you know, a drug addict father, ended up being in prison. Uh, the mother had cancer and was a druggie as well. And the other one, Igor, um, you know, he was an orphan in, uh, in Russia. You know, didn't know his parents. Uh, he was in a psychiatric home as well. So these were kids that had a struggle, way harder life than I did. I just had small similarities to them. And I was just coaching, not knowing their, their background story. But these kids just, I mean, they were wild. <laughs> you know, they were, they were kids that were completely un- uncontrollable. But hanging around with me, for some reason, they didn't need their, you know, medication of, of trying to calm down or their... Um, just anything whatsoever to, to relax. Like anytime they hung around me, they had fun, they relaxed, and they were always good. If I told them, hey, you know, chill, they did. You know, and their parents were like, hey, could you, after wrestling season's over, could you take care of these kids? Like, yeah, sure. Five years later, I'm still taking care of them today. You know, sadly, they moved to Arizona earlier this year, but, you know, overall, I'm still sending them stuff. I'm still taking care of them, calling them every single day, and being able to make sure that I'm their big brother, and whenever they need something, I'm more than happy to help them. So because they left, what I wanted to do was spread the message back. I see that I helped two kids growing up. Why can't I help more? I might not be able to take them to Chuck E. Cheese or Haunted Trails or go out and play baseball with them, but being able to just deliver the message that I wish I had growing up, maybe I'll help you know, some kid today. You know, If I speak to 30 kids, I'm hoping to at least get through to one child and say, hey, I helped better that kid in his life, and maybe he can make a difference as well. The reaction you get from the kids at this school must just be the most fulfilling thing in the world. It's, it's really cool because, you know, given MMA is a violent sport, if you want to say, um, or at least it is to the public, you know, you're beating people up, it's bloody, you're breaking arms at times, you know, the, it, it gets pretty messed up. But being able to put the, the vision of, hey, guys, I'm not saying you have to fight, but go for whatever goal you're, you're, you're good at. Find out what you're good at. Because for me, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a person that thought I was good at fighting. I just like to play, fight, have fun, stuff like that. But while growing up and given my mentors were like Power Rangers, Dragon Ball Z, I always enjoyed the challenge. And it just so happened I ended up being good at it. Like my goal is not to be the best. It's that I want to be a role model. And MMA for me is a nice you know, front for me to be a role model. A lot of people look up to things they can't do in fighting, something that a lot of people can't even put the courage up to, to do that on the streets or against a friend, you know, uh, nonetheless in a cage. So for me... 
to come back and talk to these kids and go, oh, man, they look up to me. Now let me give them a message and try to relate to them as much as possible and go, hey, man, I grew up just like you guys. I don't see why you can't do what I'm doing today. I'm not saying you have to fight, but achieve the goals that you want to achieve, be the best at it, and then come back and deliver your message. And maybe you'll inspire some people as well. Now, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but there's like a stigma that's been around MMA forever. But at the same time, martial arts is rooted in discipline. Is that something you have to face when you're trying to do these speaking engagements or arrange these speaking engagements that there's kind of like, oh, cage fighter, I don't know if we want him in here? You know, it's, it's, it's a little different because you might, for at least the teachers, it might make them think that, hey, these kids are going to be a little violent or they're going to be a little more aggressive during the class or when it comes to altercations. And that's something that we have to immediately address to the students who sign up to the gym and go, hey, guys, if you do martial arts outside of the gym, you know, outside in the streets and use it against people who don't know it, you're a weapon. That's technically for my age, that's illegal. And two, it's, that's not right. You know, picking and bullying on people because you have to and because, or excuse me, because you know how to doesn't mean you have to. You know, it doesn't mean you have to take advantage of people who are under you. Be the hero. Be the good guy. Yeah, it's hard to be the good guy at times. It's easy to, to fall into the darkness, if you want to say. But being able to spread that pos- positive message and go, hey, guys, we're doing this because we're giving you responsibility and teaching you self-defense just in case you are put into that situation. You know how to defend yourself and know how to even protect someone along the run. Now, it's not exactly Power Rangers, but it's like that Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, and it is. It's, it's, it's really true. I mean, I'm a small guy, but I'm pretty sure I can intimidate a few people and, and in a sense get what I want that way and be the bully, which when I was in fifth grade, even though I was the smallest kid in my class, at the time I was going through my parents' you know, divorce, I was going through smoking, drinking even at fifth grade, and uh, I think I'm like 10 years old at the time. And that's just the life I was going through. And I know there's many, many kids that do the same thing at such a young age, which is hard to believe. And that's going to be some of the kids I talk to later today at the Burnham Elementary School that go through the same thing. And that's in Cicero, where the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, it's a struggle, but being able to go and, and figure out the situation earlier in life is going to be much easier for them. Compared to me, I had to go through that struggle and uh, realize, like, hey, man, I shouldn't be like my family or I shouldn't be like the other kids in my block. I can be a little different. It might not be the most fun thing in the world or I might not be um, looked at as a positive person to some people, but, hey, I'd rather do something in my life and uh, take the opportunity I have than let the opportunities go by and I'm still in the same place I am today. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know so many people back from high school that are literally doing the same exact thing. Or even in college, they're doing the same exact thing they did when you left. And mm-hmm. it's like, dude, we're, you know, this is five years later or 10 years later, you know, 15 years later, and they're doing the same exact stuff, working for little jobs, whatever they can find. It's like, I know you're good at this. Come on, try something different. The if same. it doesn't work, then at least you tried. Yeah, they're all hanging out at the same place. We hung out when we were in our early 20s. It's, man, it's yeah. like still. <laughs> Drinking, I mean, hey, you can drink, you can have fun. I, I'm not saying you can't smoke. I'm not saying you can't do the, the bad things that people think is, is bad. Hey, if it works for you, it works for you. I'm not going to tell you any different. But if you still accomplish your goals, then so be it. I can't tell you anything different. But right. if you're still in the same place and not get anywhere, then how are you really helping yourself? Time to make a change. And I don't think you need to be embarrassed about the Power Rangers Dragon Ball Z thing. Like, nerd culture is huge right now. You know, <laughs> Comic Con's like a huge thing. I, don't, I think you can embrace that now. And like, Power Rangers Dragon the Ball 90s, Z are picking back up, too. Yeah, the 90s, maybe that was like, a, you can't really admit it. But now it's like, that's, you know, if you still had uh, gear, like toys, I'm sure it'd be worth, they'd be worth a lot of money. Well, the funny thing for me was, you know, the, the White Ranger was my favorite Power Ranger. Mm-hmm. You know, the second was my green, and I think the third was the gold Zeo Ranger. And, uh, so it was Tommy Oliver or Jason David Frank, which was in now like the legendary Power Ranger. Um, 
he ended up doing and actually having an MMA career and a martial arts career and creating his own company. When I slowly started to end my amateur career or started to peak at my amateur career, um, I ended up contacting him on Facebook, just you know, on his fan page, sending him a nice little story of like, hey man, you're one of the reasons where, I, where I'm at today. And he actually hit me back up. And he goes, hey, send me your address and I'm gonna send you some stuff. I go, uh, all right, so his company was Jesus and Tap. I'm not the re most religious person in the world, but when you have your role model sending you stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna wear it, I'm gonna promote it, I'm gonna do everything possible. You help me, I'm gonna help you. And I finally met him at Comic-Con, you know, brought my belt, took pictures with him, and he was just a fantastic guy to actually help me out and go, hey man, I'm, I'm really happy I can make a difference for you, and I'm glad you're trying to do the same thing back, and that's exactly what I wanna do. You know, and um, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a nice little cycle, you know, a nice little circle of one person helped another, it's gonna help me, and I'm trying to do the same thing back so they can help someone else, and it just keeps on going around and around and around. But if that cycle stops, then no one's getting helped out, and that's why I want to keep that cycle going. And for me, it was it was a cool little story to see that happen. You know, now, given I'll never be able to meet Goku because he's a you know, he's <laughs> anime, but he's one of the reasons why I act the way I do. I really do enjoy the challenge, and that's why you know I'm going back to uh, train with T.J. Dillashaw because I do believe he's much better than I am, and I do feel that I get stronger. You know, the more I get beat, this is a guy that I need to to train against to get myself stronger. So. Talking about your MMA career, you, you kind of touched on your amateur career, but you have a lot of amateur fights, more than most. Was that a specific strategy to kind of just rack up experience before going pro? I feel like people are so eager to turn pro that that's kind of not the norm for people looking to make a professional career. So the biggest thing, um, you know, I've noticed not just in Chicago, I have traveled the world and, and seen so many amateur fighters, and I have amateur fighters contact me today asking for advice. The biggest thing is, is patience, and given I'm one of the most impatient people that I do know personally, it, it, you know, it sucks, but MMA is patience. If you want to be good at something, you have to practice, and it's going to take you a while. You're not going to be good after one fight. That's just how it is. I see so many people, and the guy that I lost my very first amateur fight to, he was 5-0 and at the time. Given he went 3-0 and, and did well as a pro, but ended up blowing out his knee, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to just do my, my other career. And the MMA was, you know, ended for him. I know so many people that go 5-0, and turn pro, they're a big fish in a little pond, and they finally face another big fish from a different pond, and they end up getting beat because they're not as big as that guy. That's just how it works. There's always going to be somebody better than you. So for me, the strategy was Master Bob Shermer goes, hey, I've had so many guys uh, from back in the day. We had, like, Shoney Carter, Terry Martin were the examples of, hey, they ended up being so so good in their career, and they go, you know what, we're gonna try to train somewhere else, we're done here, this amateur gym, we're gonna go somewhere else, and they leave, and they end up losing because they only go five or six now, and their first fight they fight, you know, that the, the bigger fish from a different pond. So we go, you know what, automatically, you're gonna get 20 fights. I don't care if you're 0-20, 20-0, 50-50, -50, doesn't matter. I want you to say at least you have the experience, and then when you finally turn pro, you can go, hey, I feel more comfortable because I fought a guy of that type of style before. It might not be the same exact style, but I'm a little more comfortable than just winging it and seeing how it goes. Because sometimes, most of the time, that just doesn't work out. Mainly in fighting, anything can happen. And then when I got 18 fights, I won my first world title and I was going for my second. My coach goes, hey, you're not turning pro yet. You have to get your, your college degree. You have a full ride, take the opportunity. There's no reason to go, hey, I'm going to put 100% in MMA and, and see how it goes. I can be the best in the world, but just in case, never know. I can get knocked out. I can get, you know, I can break my legs. Something can happen in my MMA career can end, you know, the next day. Hell, I fight January, I fight, no, uh, May 19th. Something bad could happen. My career can end the next day, you know. What do I have to fall back on? Nothing. So for me, I ended up getting my college degree in uh, leadership in sports and exercise science. 
and my education is what's what's leading me forward and helping me through my MMA career and is my backup just in case. So that's why I'm never nervous or completely nervous when I go in there and fight. I have fun and enjoy myself. And if it so happens at the end the next day, at least I enjoyed. I tried my best. Now I have my other career. That's so uh, special that you had somebody looking out for you in that kind of way, thinking about your future instead of just pushing you. You know, I think there's a lot of coaches, managers who maybe push people too hard because their success is kind of tied into it as well. But this guy put you first it's a lot of coaches and given i'm not going to state names but i i know a lot of coaches that care more about the money um where they go they see a, a very very talented fighter and immediately they they see dollar signs i've been in personal situations where i've gone and traveled to different gyms got no attention been thrown into the wolves and done very well against them then finally went about and then they call me the next day like hey we love you to come back uh we want to work with you it's like dude i was asking for your help when i was there the first time you know, and I'm paying so much money to be there. Why didn't I get any attention then? You're telling me I have to pay more money to get the actual attention? Hmm, I'm just here for the bodies then, or I'm here to be used as a body. So uh, it's people see dollar signs, and that's the hard part about the sport is, and about any sport when you're, you're a single person, is that, you know, you're very, very good. Everyone's going to want to jump on that back and that, you know, pick it back with you and try to move up with you again, you know, in that mountain. And it's, it's, it's really hard to trust people at times, but... Master Bob, he's been there. He was, you know, he's kicked me out of the gym a couple of times because I was that bad child growing up. But, you know, he brought me back in. He was my mentor, father figure, and now still my best friend of just watching out. Even when I go train in Denver or, or Jacksonville or in Albuquerque or around the world somewhere, he calls me every day and makes sure that I'm doing well, what do I need help on, um, and helps me in any situation I need. So, you know, you talk about your extensive amateur career. You're 4-0 in the pros now. Do you feel like you need to kind of take the pro career just to slow, or do you feel like you can kind of go a little bit faster? Um, I feel I can go a little bit faster because of my amateur career. Uh, not too many people. A lot of people say I, w I have been a pioneer as an amateur. Um, I was the first to claim two world championships in a row. Um, and, you know, no one's ever done that before, given it, it finally it was able to change last year with another USA member claiming two world titles. Um, but I was the one that started it. You know, I'm trying to be the, if you watch boxing, the Vasily Lamachenko of MMA, given I don't have 396 in one fights, but for MMA, it's huge. To have 26 amateur fights and win 25 straight is huge with two national championships, two world championships, and I didn't just do MMA. I have 50-plus fights in kickboxing and Muay Thai, many belts and, and medals with that, and an extensive wrestling career where I have 100-plus wins in college, and I was an All-American. Plus, for me, and I do like to state that I was – um, an academic All-American. You know, I had a 3.8 GPA when I graduated. When in high school, I had a 2.0, and I didn't think I was going to be an academic probation every school I applied for. So I decided to go to junior college and then got to fight at a cap in National Honor Society and then eventually got the full scholarship for not just athletics, but because, hey, there's a smart jock that's awesome. You know, that's really, really hard to find. So for me, I got the full scholarship and it took full opportunity of it. But I always tell people, stay amateur as long as you possibly can. And for me as a pro... I'm able to move faster because of all the knowledge I've been able to obtain because of it. I mean, my first fight, the guy was a pro debut, 5'9", at a higher weight class I shouldn't have been at. I choked him out in two minutes and nine seconds. My second fight, the guy had 16 pro fights, never been finished. I only had one, and I was able to dominate that fight. The only thing I had to do was kill him because he literally would not stop coming forward no matter how many times I dropped him, cut him, whatever the case was. That guy just wouldn't stop coming forward. I mean, even after the fight, I went to go take a picture with him, and while he stood up, he passed out. <laughs> and I'm just like... Did the doctors even see this guy yet? Like, all right. Have you been to the medical tent yet? Yeah. And, um, and this was like 20, 30 minutes after the fight. And 
after that, I fought for my first world title, which was the vacant Titan FC interim belt. Um, the guy was 7-2, and two, and if he would have beat me, he would have been called up to the UFC, but I knocked him out in the second round with one minute left. And then my last fight, they go, hey, we want to give you some good guys, and you know, you're, you're our poster boy. We want to feed you some good names. I was like, I don't want that. I want the best guy in my division. I'm not shy of an opportunity. I'm not afraid of losing. That's not my reasoning behind it. In a sport, you're always going to lose, and if you do it long enough, inevitably it's going to happen. For me, I really just enjoy the challenge, and I'm going to fight the toughest guys to test myself. Mainly early on, this early on in this career, so later on, I can go. I can go. Hey, man, I've gone through this tough, of, you know, of a battle before. I can do it again. So I fought Pedro Nober. He was 18, two and two, and the last guy he lost to was Tim Elliott, who went the distance and almost choked out Demetrius Johnson in mm -hmm. the first round. So it shows the quality of fighters he's gone against. And I knocked him out in 86 seconds, something that's never been done before for him. He's never been finished by a TKO, and I was able to do that pretty pretty easily. Um, and now the UFC sadly didn't want me because uh, they go, hey, man, you're only 4-0. It's not a benefit for these guys to fight you. They go, uh, eh, it's like if I fight Shorty Torres, he's only 4-0. It doesn't boom me up in the world. But if I lose to Shorty Torres, it makes me look really bad because he's only 4-0, which I get. It sucks for me. But so I go, you know what? I'm not trying to fight a no-name guy. No offense to anyone in my division, but no one's going to bump me up. No one's going give to give me the popularity I need. I need main events. So I told Titan FC, hey, man, let's make a super fight. Let me fight uh, Farquhar Sheripov, which is a 35-pound Titan FC world champion. Um, let's fight him. He's a fantastic guy. He's a, a veteran. He has 17-7 and record. He's beat some UFC veterans, some Bellator veterans. And he's made a legacy for himself. Let me fight him. He's a guy that's at his prime right now. He's 32. Let's do it. And uh, it took me a little while to convince him to do it because he didn't want to do it. And I finally got him to do a champion versus champion. So May 19th, I, I fight the biggest fight of my life. And hopefully I win this fight. It's hard for the UFC to deny me. So there's so much to unpack. That was an incredible answer. Thank you. Uh, first, <laughs> you had to convince them. You sold them on doing this fight. Like this wasn't... They weren't thinking, man, we got a star here in Shorty. Let's get him this super fight. You, you pitched this to them, and you had to talk them into it. It's, How, it what was, was your selling point? All right, the selling point for me is, and given I do all my negotiations, I, I am my own manager when it comes to sponsors, fights, all that stuff. Um, who, who knows myself better than myself, I think, I hope. Um, but Titan FC is a great promotion, but sometimes they lack when it comes to promoting the event. I believe I am Titan FC poster, no, their poster boy, and I'm right now their biggest guy, their biggest guy in the card. Even when I fought Aldea Velasquez, everyone's like, oh, he's 25 and one is Amy, he's done this, he's done that. There's always so much to say about me, and it's not going to stop. For me, I don't want to be that guy, mainly for the UFC, I don't want to be that guy that picks my fights. If there's a you know guy next in line, then let's fight him. For me, I go, hey, man, for, for myself, my personal career, I need a big-name fight. No one in my division is worth it. Plus, if I fight someone in my division, no one knows him. It's not going to better promote Titan FC. It's just going to go, ah, Shorty's fighting again, but he's fighting some guys probably going to knock once in whatever seconds. We're just going to watch the highlight. So who's going to tune into that? Farquhar Sharapov is a great fighter, but again, he has the same problem as I do. There's really no one worthy of fighting him right now. So let's make an event that's never been happening before for Titan FC, champion versus champion. Other promotions have been doing it, and it's been huge for them. And for me, I want to follow the Conor McGregor scheme of if I get two belts, it's hard for the bigger promotion, the UFC, to deny me. And for Farquhar Sharapov, 
he rather himself lose to a guy who's actually promoting the fight, who has a big name, and is the hype train. And for him, if he beats me, who doesn't want to beat the hype train? I mean, when Sage Northcutt and Mickey Gow came into the UFC, immediately everyone's like, I want this guy, I want that guy. Because even though they're not you know, huge, popular, fantastic fighters, everyone knows them. Mm-hmm. You know, They're good-looking guys, or they've been called up by Dana White personally. You know, so for me, I want to put up a big statement to show that Titan FC is a legit promotion, and they're making big events. And for Farquhar Sharapov, he is the best fighter, and I'm not shy or shying away from a great opportunity. You know, for me, if I lose, I lost to a guy at 35. I lost to a guy that's not in my weight class. He's bigger, stronger, and a bigger veteran, and I still get to keep my belt. You know, so for me, it's a win-win, and I got, right. to, I got to test myself for Farquhar Sharapov. If he wins, he just showed he can beat another champion, even though I'm at a lower weight class, but I believe I've done very well for myself as a professional. And if he loses, he lost to the hype train. He lost to the guy who people know and go, oh, he lost to Shorty? Oh, I could see that. You know, yeah. Compared to, oh, I lost to this guy, Dan. That sucks. Mm. And it just makes him look worse. So why not? It's the biggest event in Titan FC history because of something I decided to, to put up there. And Farquhar Sherpoff actually thought I was a no-name. Really? For him, I had to do like Instagram, Twitter posts, tag him and everything, which I don't like to do because it seems like disrespect. I respect every fighter. For me, I like to say we're all after the same goal. It just so happens we're on each other's way. Um, I had to kind of go like, it was a picture of my brother and I like, you know, smiling, laughing after the fight. And I was like, when Farquhar Sheripoff says uh, he doesn't want to fight you because you're too small. And he immediately commented going, I didn't say you were too small. I said you were a nobody. And I go, oh, cool. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure There's I'm somebody. fodder for the poster right yeah. there. I was like, yeah, you might have more fights. You might have more fights against, against uh, bigger names because I only had one huge name, which was Pedro Nobre. And uh, I was like, dude, Pedro Nobre is ranked higher than you. And I knocked him out in 86 seconds. He goes, ah, oh, you're still nobody. I'm ranked this in, in southeast Florida and, and all this in <laughs> Florida. I go, dude, I'm talking about worldwide rankings. That's what we're trying to do. You're ranked number 90 in the world. I'm ranked number 40 in the world. And I've only had four fights. You know, right now I'm ranked number seven top flyweight in the world when everyone else has had 10-plus pro fights. And I've only had four in one year, and look where I'm at today. I have all the eyes on me. Why don't you want to fight me? You know, who doesn't want to take out the hype train? If there was a hype train at 45, hell, I'd probably make up the proposition to try to fight him. Because <laughs> you know, why not? That's right. something people want to do. Why do you think everyone wants to fight Conor McGregor? Because he talks so much, and he's the hype train. That's what everyone's, everyone wants to do. It might not be immediately the money fight, but it can get you to that money fight. And that's where I'm at today of we're all just trying to get to the UFC. Let's help each other. We're both big-time guys. Is it a scary fight for both of us? Yeah, because you know you're fighting a legit guy. So what? If you lose, at least you can say you lost to a legit guy compared to a nobody. Now, Lex, who at, at Titan, he's uh, a big proponent of – trying to help guys get to the UFC. Mm-hmm. He's really open about that. Uh, back in December, he let, or January, he let a fighter go Vulcan to... Yeah, uh, he, was, he was my co-main event, man. Yeah. That would have been nice. Right. He let him uh, leave to go to the UFC because the opportunity came up. Uh, was that Did that play a role when you were going pro and deciding to fight with Titan? You know, that you could be open and honest, like, hey, this is just this stop on the journey, but the end destination is UFC. Like, you don't have to act like that's not the goal so Vulcan actually won by split decision which was awesome for him mm-hmm. um for me the funny thing was I met Lex in Bahrain because I was being signed to an organization called KHK which was uh, the Prince of Bahrain or the Sheikh and uh, after the world championships he wanted to start his own team of in a sense sponsoring other athletes so people on the team were um Frankie Edgar Khabib Nurmagomedov Islam Akachev and myself and many others from around the world 
And being on that team, Lex was there with Alex Soto. He was fighting on Titan FC 35. He's a UFC veteran. Uh, fight Ma- fought Michael McDonald and Francisco Rivera back in the day. And Lex goes, hey, Shorty, you're, you're the same weight class as him because I won the world at 35. Alex was a 35-pounder. He goes, um, he needs some sparring partners. Do you mind gearing up and going against him? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Love to. That's that's awesome. Going against UFC vet. I've never done that yet. He goes, uh, if, if it starts going really bad, I'll stop it, okay? Like, uh, I want to keep you safe. I go, uh, cool, thanks, Lex. Like, I appreciate you. He doesn't know who I am, whether amateur or not, you know. So I go against him. I do very well against Alex. And he goes, hey, what's what's, what's your name again? You know, and <laughs> so I tell my info. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. The next day we all have a, a big team practice. Frankie, Khabib, Islam. And I'm going back and forth with Islam and some of the other Dagestani Russians having a really good time. Those guys are amazing athletes. And then everyone stops, and Khabib's like, shorty, let's go. I was like, all right shit like all right cool let's go you know so i start going with him and khabib's you know given there's a reason why he missed weight but he's a very very big person like he's it's not muscular he's just thick like he is a bear <laughs> and uh we start going back and forth and he it's it's taking him a while to take me down in the on the on the wall which i'm like eh, khabib norugamado can't take me down they eventually gets me down you know beats me up and then i'm doing the same thing trying to take him down finally get him down trying to impose my will and everyone's just watching and frankie edgar's like you know, mumbling things, the lags are mumbling things back, just having a great time watching us. And everyone just stops practicing. And they're just watching him and I go back and forth. And then after he goes, uh, hey, what are, you, uh, what are you planning on doing? And for me, I wanted to move to Malaysia, possibly join 1FC, because I wasn't a huge fan of the, the Reebok deal. And he goes, uh, do you want to get signed a four-fight contract, Titan FC? It's like a UFC feeder program. I go, yeah, that's awesome. Alex Soto's fighting on this? Yeah, I would love to do it. So my first fight was... March of last year, almost a year today, uh, a little over a year now, and it was, I mean, it, it started my, my MMA career, you know, so in less than, what was that, I think five months, three fights, I ended up winning my first world championship, which has never been done before, and then my second fight, given it got prolonged because of cancellations and events being moved, um, but I was able to knock out a guy, only 3-0, and who was 18-2, and you know, again, nothing, something that's never been done before. I'm trying to be the Vasily Lomachenko of MMA. I want to be a pioneer to show that, hey, guys, an amateur career is highly worth it. And you, you can be the national champ of your country and compete, you know, in the IMF. You're facing pro-level guys at the amateur ranks. I'd rather you lose there and go, hey, there's something I need to work on. Let's try again next year, win it. And then there's your stepping ground to uh, be better respected as a professional. 5-0, and oh, everyone does that. Why be average? do something that people have never done before, then you're going to be highly respected as a professional and be paid appropriately to your skill rank. And I'm showing people that being an amateur for much longer in your career shows that you can fight better guys as a pro and handle them so much better. Again, 18-2 and two was my biggest thing. And Pedro Nobre is a UFC vet, and uh, no one can deny my, my victory. And hopefully, you know, May 19th, they can't deny that either. You're like an MMA historian. You're just spitting out names and records <laughs> and like all sorts of facts. I'm telling you, you got to cut me off, man. <laughs> you're saying, no, but you're saying like, two, you know, you're talking about your grade point average, uh, but like, you know, you're spitting out all this information and it's like you retain it and you recall it with ease. It's just, it's impressive. You got to promote, promote, promote. You know, nobody likes the average person. You know, mm-hmm. no one likes just an MMA fighter. Another reason why Conor McGregor is so good is because he can talk. He practices, he does everything he needs to do. He promotes, he does everything that you're supposed to do. Nowadays, it, the UFC is now becoming like boxing. It's becoming a little too political. Where you hear, oh, I'm not taking this fight. Like the champion's denying fights, denying the number one guy because he's not as popular as the number five guy. 
You know, it's like, ah, dude, fight the guy that's next in line. Like, he worked all the way up to it. You did the same thing when you were a contender. Why not respect that and give him the title shot? But nowadays, you have to be the social media king. You have to be the promoting guy that does every single interview that always says yes, yes, yes. And then so be it. You know, don't just be the, in a sense, a dumb fighter that just goes in there because fighting's not going to get you all the way up. I know fantastic fighters that no one knows. I, 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 Andre Harrison is a perfect example. Andre Harrison is, I think, 16-0 and 0 as a professional, now the WSOF oh, yeah. world champ, a fantastic fighter. But it's hard for him to promote. That's just not his thing. He's a quiet person, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he needs someone to help him get up there. For me, I'm able to do it myself. You know, and I know what I need to do, and I want to be ready as a professional early in my career so I can be better respected later on in my career and go, dude, I'm already where you're at, and you've, already, and you've been here for five, six years, and I did this in one. You know, I have my own website. I have my own clothing line. I have everything I do in my neighborhood, and I travel all around the world against top-notch fighters, and they pay me at times to be there to train with them, and I'm not even in the UFC yet. You know, so I'm already making my connections and doing more in my life than what people have done and barely starting to do now even as a veteran. Now, you, you mentioned uh, trying to promote yourself. You're very active on social media. You mentioned your shirts. You're at Jackson Winks, and everybody in these pictures is wearing these shirts. What was that like? whole experience like? I mean, it seemed like they were throwing you a party. <laughs> it was cool because, uh, you know, given uh, a lot of people were helping me out and buying shirts, and some of the bigger-name guys, I was like, hey, uh, do you mind you know, wearing my shirt? And you can have it. You know, I'm not going to charge you anything. Just help another shorty out, you know, come up and make a name for themselves. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, John Jones and I, we always make fun of each other, have a good time. And Jones comes in, and I give him one of my shirts, and he goes, oh, man, thanks. I appreciate it. It might not fit, but sure, you know. I go, uh, if you don't mind, just one of these days wearing it to practice and uh, just taking a picture. And he goes, I mean, if you give me 300 bucks, and I'm like, oh, man, John's ain't going to take a picture of my shirt. Well, there goes one shirt. The next day, uh, I give one to Karate Hottie, uh, Michelle Watterson, and she's a fantastic person, very, very humble, very nice person. And uh, I ended up finishing sparring with her, getting her ready for Rose Namajunas, and I give her a shirt. And I was like, hey, if you can take a picture, that'd be awesome, please. And she, like, crumbles it up after sweating, and she's like, oh, cool, thank you. And just starts rubbing her sweat all over. And I'm like, oh, there that goes. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. And then, you know, the next day, um, uh, John Dotson was there and, and Diego Sanchez and so many other people. And, you know, I was just giving shirts away. And they were humble enough to, to take the picture. Diego Sanchez and John Dotson are probably the most humble people. And they were just like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's put on the shirt, take a picture. And they were just wearing it around the gym. And the next day, John Jones comes in. And he goes, Shorty, guess what I wore today? And he takes off his hoodie. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. You know? So it was a lot of fun. And you know, it's, it's real cool to know that uh, you know, everyone respects each other. You know, that's that's one thing that I really like at Jackson Wink that's different from uh, a lot of gyms is they go, oh, we're the same weight class. No, I'm not going to spar with you because we might end up fighting one day. Who cares? That's just, it's a sport, man. That's, hell, I spar with Sergio Pettis. He's 22 years old, uh, 22 or 23 years old, and I'm 24, going to be 25 later on this year. More than likely later on in life, we're going to fight. That's just how it is, mainly at the 125 division. It's a very small division. More than likely, we're going to fight. I train with Tim Elliott. I train with TJ Dillashaw. I might bump up to 35. You never know. I train with Joseph Benavides. Who cares? It's just, it's a sport. It's just like wrestling, just like football. If we face, we face. If we lose, win, doesn't matter. We're still friends at the end of the day, or at least I hope so. You know, I, I don't take anything personal. It's just a sport to me. Um, but it's real cool to know that people are helping me out. You know, it's, it's being an MMA fighter for a lot of people. They think because I have a belt and it looks gold and it looks beautiful, weighs, you know, how many pounds. It is beautiful, but I'm very happy. Um, 
even though all that, they go, oh, man, you must have money. I'm not going to buy a shirt. Like, you should make your shirts for less than 20 bucks. I go, dude, it's it's really hard to make a living. Like, I don't work a full-time job. I'm working on my savings right now. I'm literally all the money from KHK. We only did it for a year. I'm just slowly feeding that out of my savings and just working through that. I fight every around every four to five months, and I don't make – I make less than $5,000 per fight. You know, so try to manage – you know, I'm just going to give a nice guesstimate of my last paycheck. Try to manage $3,000 for four months. You know, it's, it's really hard to do, mainly when you're trying to travel and get the, the best training camp in the world. It's, it's extremely hard, so that's why I do sell my shirts. I try to get sponsors, and uh, I promote myself the way I do because, hey, man, we all got to support each other, and that's what I'm trying to get Chicago to do. That's why everything is all Chicago-based, my hoodies, my T-shirts, and my stickers, everything whatsoever. The, the Instagram post sold me on the shirt. Like, I'm going to order one. Where can people find uh, these shirts and these hoodies? Which you're sporting a really nice hoodie for Chicago that's perfect for this weather right I'm, now. I'm just sporting my, my hoodie, sporting my T-shirt under. I'm always – you should see I'm going to make some underwear next. No. <laughs> but, yeah, everything – oh, that's bad boy. But, anyways, I'm always, I'm always promoting. You know, um, for where can who, they find it? For people who want to find and support me, which I really do appreciate, is joseshortytours.com. Even if you want to know more about me, um, you, know, you can go through the shop, go buy stuff. And actually, every single person who sent in their pictures, I have their pictures under a photo collage. They support me. I want to show them off as well and say, hey, guys, thank you so much for, for supporting the team, supporting the cause. Because, again, I'm another, I'm another shorty trying to come up on my website as well. There's, there's pictures and videos of me training. And uh, there's actually a nice little about me section where I complete my whole resume for Muay Thai, kickboxing, wrestling, everything whatsoever, and what's to come next. And actually, on my website soon enough, and I will be um, announcing it on YouTube and Instagram as well, I'm going to do a nice web series. Two of them, one is a documentary that I've been filming for a year that started the day of my pro career, um, where it just leads up all through every single fight. And then, you know, until today, and then I'm also going to have a web series when I am training with TJ, kind of like a, a UFC embedded, where every single week, uh, a nice little series comes out of what my week has gone, like how the training has gone. I'm bleeding so much. TJ's, you know, hitting me too hard or whatever the case may be, you know, <laughs> just having fun. So I want to people know the, the, the day in the life of Shorty Torres and sure, I'm more than happy to do that. But I, it, it costs a lot of money to do that. As much as I love to promote, it, it's a struggle. So that's why I need people to support. So please, if everyone listening, joseshortytours.com. And I really appreciate the support. See, now's your chance to get on a future UFC champion's website now. <laughs> like, eventually, he'll stop doing this. And then it'll be closed, and you'll regret having this opportunity to get on it. Because all my shirts right now are, are technically limited. I've been changing the shirt every single fight. So every shirt that comes out, it's like three to four months. That's it. I won't make that shirt again. So people who had my very first Titan FC shirt with me and the flag, that's it. I'm not making those again. My black shirt with the Team Shorty cartoon character, that's it. The red ones that I'm just selling now, that's it. You know, so everything's coming out new, and they're all limited. They're like rings on a tree you'll be able to see when they jumped on the Shorty bandwagon. Mm -hmm. So you talked about going to Jackson Week. Uh, you know, such a prolific MMA gym, great coaches, great fighters. What, what about it m makes you want to go there? Is it the, the coaching? Is it the... John Jones, Holly Holm, the, the you know name after name after name that trains there. Um, so the the original reason why I went down, I work with Louis Giordano, which is nutrition. Uh, you know, we don't cut weight, we we manage it. And I went down there because he was working with John Jones. He goes, "Hey man, there's a bunch of guys down here, John Dotson, a bunch of other small guys. Come on down." I go, "Sure." Like no hesitation. I'm like, "You're you're the coach. Like I got you." 
and I can work hands-on with you when you're there. Given the whole time he was working with John Jones and then Yoel Romero stopped by for a little bit. So I was like, oh, cool, no attention for this guy. But the very first day I got there, um, get off my plane from Kuwait, uh, which was like a 16 to 20 hour adventure. You know, so I'm pretty jet lagged. Go straight there and I know Israel Martinez, Izzy Style Wrestling. And I go a few 1FC guys, but you can't go with the UFC fighters unless they know you. Because, you know, sometimes the amateur fighters can actually hurt you because, hell, sometimes they don't even know what they're doing. You know, so how do you know? Um, John Dotson was getting ready for a fight, and Izzy's like, go with John Dotson. I go, I don't even, I haven't even shaken his hand. Like, I haven't even introduced myself. So, sure, like, yeah, that's awesome. I love this guy. So I go in there, and the first 20 seconds, I toss him. And I was just like, like, it was a beautiful toss, like, highlight reel type of toss, you know, and everyone's like, oh, and I got caught in the moment. Like, right when I landed on him, I looked up to everyone. I was like, I tossed John Dotson. I don't know. He gets up and starts punching me. I was like, ah, oh, damn it. You know, so he ended up making me pay for that one. But uh, after that, him and I ended up being good friends and training more and more. Um, and so many more, Demacio Page, and, and just being able to work with so many of the high-level guys they have. I go there every single – this is my third time that I went there. Um, I go there now just for the bodies. Like, at Jackson Wing, so many people from around the world train there. I mean, there's always going to be somebody better than you or at least around your skill level to train with, and there's at least five of them. And it's that's the best thing, and that's the hardest thing to find at a gym is, how oh, I can go to Demetrius Johnson's gym and go train with him, but he's the only one. And not saying that that's not perfect because he's the, the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, but he's the only one to train with. Sometimes you need different looks as well because not everyone's going to fight like DJ. Different styles. You know, so even when I go train with TJ, I mean, TJ is phenomenal. Like, there's nothing more I could ask for on a fighter, and he does give me different looks at times, but, hey, sometimes you need different looks, and right now he's the only guy I train with. When I'm at Jackson Wink, there's just a number of fighters. The last one that I was going with was the uh, – uh, the ACB World Bantamweight Champ. You know, I can't, I, I can't, Magomedov, I can't remember his name. But uh, those guys are just animals. So being able to go with somebody different every single time is, is huge. And that's why I tell people, um, you know, be loyal to your home gym because they're the ones that made you. They're the ones that raised you and, you know, help you become the man you are today. Go go out to different gyms, get different looks, and, and test your skills that you've learned from your home gym and learn the skills that they're trying to teach as well, you know, because it's always nice to get different looks. So for this title fight, you mentioned working at a Team Elevation. Is that where you're going to do your camp for this fight? Yeah, so I'm here uh, for one more week uh, in Chicago. Then I head out to St. Louis to see my fiance. She uh, she has a birthday. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, she proposed to me. Uh, very bold woman. <laughs> um, being out there, and then after that, I will be for five weeks with TJ Dillashaw, Dwayne Ludwig, Wabang Muay Thai, and Team Elevation. Just having a great time out there. Um, I've, you know, I've, This will be my third time out there, and these guys – TJ is 100% in everything. I mean, the guy is just full on out. If you don't protect yourself against him, like, you're getting hurt. For people who follow me on social media, I think it was the last week I was there, he just caught last 10 seconds a beautiful uppercut that just, just straight over my right eye. And I, I couldn't see out of it. You know, like, it was just completely purple, the biggest black eye I've ever had, which is very funny because I, I laugh at pain. I like to have fun with it. And I posted, you know, social media pictures and just, you know, was, was making fun of it, just kind of laughing at the situation. But if you don't move and he goes 100% at sparring, which at times is not the safest thing to do, but it gets you to um, better recognize how you feel during those, you know, panic situations, if you want to say, um, if you get knocked out by him, hey, that's your fault because you didn't move. That's his fighting style. And that's... 
I'm 100% game with that. Um, again, not the safest thing to do, but if you can take it, hey, man, go right ahead. But uh, that's what I think that's what helped me in my last fight. If, if it wasn't for him and what Dwayne is teaching with the stand-up, I wouldn't be you know, where I'm at with that last fight and where I am today. He seems like such a nice guy that it's hard to picture him uh, you know, going so hard and hurting you and kind of like, would you say, like he pointed at you and was like, ha-ha? He's a, I mean, he's an extremely humble guy. Um, at times, you know, he's selfish, but it's, it's the sport. You have to be selfish. You are your own entity in the sport. I mean, I'm selfish a lot of the time, a lot of the times too. I have to. Um, but for him, he's had such a crucial part in his career where he lost a split decision where I believe he won against Dominic Cruz. He made a, a great performance against John Lineker, which, you know, got on the fight with Cody Garbrandt. And it's one of those things where he's in a position where he needs to win this fight. You know, if he doesn't win this fight, he's not going to get a title shot for a while. So he's extremely selfish to this point where he needs to 100% go all out in everything because he wants to be the best. He has that for people who know wrestlers and college wrestlers. They're, they're 100% at everything. You see them at practice. If they get taken down, they're pissed. You know, they want to go, 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 go. TJ's the same way. If he gets hit by a nice right cross, he wants to hit you with 10 of them. Like, that's just how he is because he wants to be the best at it. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. The one thing that I really love about TJ is that, one, he's not ever holding back against anyone. He respects everyone. And two is a lot of people have a bad tendency of when they get hit, they get emotional. And then after the round's over, they're still emotional and never want to talk to you <laughs> until, like, maybe the next practice. Or, like, right. hey, give me a few minutes and then we can be cool. TJ will literally go 100% until that bell rings. And right after that bell rings, you'll hear, like, three buffs, like, hey, you want to get some food? And it's like, ah. Uh, are you going to punch me still? I don't, like, sure, sure. You know, because right. you don't know how to react because he is a person that will even talk to you during and, and swear you and get mad because sometimes you might be beating him or sometimes whatever the case may be. And then after he's cool with you, you're just like, oh, this is weird. But it, he's an extremely cool guy, and he's actually helped me out a lot. If it, if it wasn't for him, I actually wouldn't be uh, getting promoted the way I am. So when you're sparring with him and he's going 100%, like you're getting the full TJ Dillashaw. But I feel like that's a good way for you to measure yourself. Mm -hmm. So like when you're, when you're doing that, how do you feel like, I mean, this is a guy who was the Bantamweight champion and defended the belt in the UFC. Like how do you feel you, you stack up? Do you be like, man, I, I could beat him. I can, I can be the UFC champion. Um, I think I stack up very well. I think he'd still kill me any day. But, you know, I, I, and I do say sparring is, is a lot different from the actual real life experience because there are nerves, you panic, there's different situations. Um, smaller gloves, which is a huge part. But TJ, if it wasn't for him, and this is my mindset mainly going into my last fight, I go, man, if I'm fighting a guy and doing very well against TJ Dillashaw, the former bantamweight world champ, one of the best in the UFC, a guy who does not stop moving and who just has a relentless pace, and I'm doing well against him, I'm pretty sure I'll do, against, uh, do well against a guy who's a UFC vet and that stands right in front of me. I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. You know, so that's what I'm thinking about my next fight. I'm facing the best bantamweight in the world, but now I'm facing a guy who's ranked 90 in the world at his weight class. You know, for Titan FC, I think I'll be fine, given I'm not underestimating any of my opponents. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, pro-level guys to Amy guys. It's like, hey, I'm fighting this guy, even though you're the same class, weight class and you're good. I'm doing well against him. I'm pretty sure I'll do well against you, or at least I hope I would. You know, so I had that confidence in that, and I think I'll perform well on May 19th because of TJ. How much do you think TJ's improved you as a fighter? He's improved me a lot, man. It's, it's one of those things because I'm a very, very forward opponent. 
you know, I don't really move my head much, and I like to stand there and bang. Any type of close situation I'm very good at, mainly with the judo, everything works in my favor when we're close. But with TJ, he doesn't stop moving. He comes from different angles. He gives you that look that's really never never been done before, and all these fighters are now trying to mimic that style. Um, to be able to prepare for that is very hard, but being able to go with him three, four straight weeks you start to get muscle memory with that and you start to realize like okay I'm doing this wrong because he's really hit me a lot here or he's hitting me really hard in this situation I got to really improve in that and being able to go with him five five minute rounds every single day at seven eight thousand feet in elevation is huge so being able to do that against him I mean I'm not afraid of any other opponent until I possibly get to the UFC and they're one of the best in the world you know and then I wouldn't even say I'm afraid I just more enjoy the challenge it brings more tingles in my body of like this is awesome. I haven't had this feeling in a while. When I faced Pedro Nobre, after I went with TJ, I still had a month until my fight because he fought on, on New Year's. My fight was until January 21st. I didn't spar. I didn't even drill for a month. All I did was run just to get the weight down. And nutrition's like, hey, man, you're going to shadow box? You're going to do anything? Like, you haven't done anything. I go, <laughs> I'm not nervous about this fight. There's no reason for me to be. Like, I'm not underestimating my guy, but... I feel really comfortable. I don't know why, but it's just how I feel right now. And so far, I ended up working out really well and you know, beating them in 80, 82, 86 seconds. So being able to go against Farcott, I believe he is a tougher opponent, but I'm not nervous, man. I, I really do enjoy that. I think it's because of TJ. TJ, again, I've hell, I've gone with him in sparring days, and I look at him before we start sparring. I'm like, ah, this is going to suck. All right, let's do it. You know, and go in there, and then after the day, I'm like, I'm Okay. Okay. All right, no cool. blood. No yeah. blood. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm good. Yeah. Hey, you bleeding? Yeah, that's right. You deserve it. You know. <laughs> so we just we have a lot of fun when we go sparring, and uh, we really respect each other for that, because no one, and I really do say this, no one likes going with TJ. Not because they're, not because they don't like him. It's because they're afraid of him. It's a lot of people are intimidated because TJ goes 100. percent They can't handle his pace, and so for me to be able to go that and even at times push him makes me really comfortable in where I'm at, mainly now being only 4-0, being, you know, against or going against a guy who's one of the best in the world. Do you like fighting at that pace, or do you prefer to keep your fights lower? Oh, 100%. Uh, if you ever watch boxing, the Mexican-style boxing, where they're just in the center going, I can do that for 12 straight boxing rounds. And I do train here at, we call each other TBT at the the boxing gym. It's the broke team. We're not the money team. We're the broke team. <laughs> but like Adrian Granados, Joshua Greer, Nathaniel Gallimore, and so many more, I mean, these guys are coming up guys. Adrian Granales just lost a controversial split decision against Adrian Broner. We're guys that are coming up. And those, you know, and Eddie Ramirez as well, those boxers have helped me with my stand-up and that whole Mexican style of just being in there, pushing the pace and going, going, going. I use that in my MMA career, and that's what I love to do. I'm not there to, no offense to Mayweather, some of these defensive fighters, but I want to put on a show. I want to show people that I'm there to bang. Nobody wants to watch a guy a running defensive match people want to see a bloody brawl even though it's not the healthiest thing in the world it's what people want to see i'm not just a fighter i'm an entertainer and that's my style is to entertain now you mentioned nutrition uh working with lou giordano uh, weight management he likes to manage weight and not cut it he's uh seems to have a really big impact on the fighters that he works with everybody seems to have a really positive relationship with him and uh, that he puts their care first and fighters really like that. You, you have that same experience, obviously. So Lou, I can I say this now if he's listening, he is one of my best friends. Um, you know, I can open up to him. He does the same thing to me. You know, I know more about him than I believe any other fighter he's worked with knows about. Um, you know, we both have gone through our problems. We both have tried to come up. You know, both Shorty's trying to make something and a name for themselves. Sadly, things haven't worked the best for him, but 
him and I have been a, a perfect duo when it comes to making weight, performing at their best, and being low in between fight camps. I mean, if the UFC called me to make weight next week, I'll do it. And with the help of nutri uh, nutrition, nutrition, all that, you know, it, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have made the cut to 25 because my first two pro, pro fights were at 135. For me, for people who don't know, you know, I went to, uh, you know, I went to university, I went to wrestle, and my coach and I just, you know, I ended up getting cut my senior year because I just didn't want to make weight anymore. 125, making it every single week. When I, when you weigh 155, going down to 125, 30 pounds, and trying to make it every single week, sometimes twice a week, is horrible on your body, horrible for your liver, horrible for your organs, and just the way you perform. Even when I made weight, I wasn't wrestling the way I did. I was too big for the weight class to make it so consecutively. I can make it once, I can make it twice, but to perform at my best, it wasn't. Mainly with the the little knowledge that I had and the the bad materials that I had with the, you know, buffet at the school and stuff like that. It's, right, it's not it's the everybody. best. No, it's horrible. You know, so on Sunday it'd be like chowing down donuts because I'm on a diet. You know, and that's right. where people struggle is that the diet's over. Now they start to gain all this weight back. But we had a cupcake bar at my school. Oh, it's it horrible. Was, yeah. It's horrible. We had the little donut bar, which was amazing. I'm never ever gonna complain about that. <laughs> but uh. Because of nutrition, he made me comfortable about making 25. I wouldn't have ever done 125 because I, I was intimidated. I was traumatized from it. I had a very, very horrible experience um, in my three years of college and wrestling. Like That was completely some of the, the worst three years of my life. But I did what I had to do just so I can graduate and get my full ride still. Even when I got cut from the wrestling team, my coach pulled my scholarship. I had to take him to court just to get my scholarship back. That's how bad making 125 was for me because there was so much struggle. And I knew why he was so upset because I, he knew and I knew that I could perform at my best, just sadly not at the weight class where we both wanted. Um, so working with nutrition, he has changed my life with that. He's made me comfortable by myself, and he's taught me the knowledge of, hey, if I want to go eat tacos, which I love tacos, if I want to go out and eat chips and do the stuff that I want to do and enjoy life to the fullest like everyone does, you can do that. We don't have to binge eat. You can portion your foods and, and have, you know, small snacks of this, small snacks of that. Like, if I want to go to Paco's Tacos or any little place, I can have two tacos, enjoy myself, but I don't have to get three, four, or five because I haven't had it in a while. Just enjoy the, enjoy the small moment you have and then move on and go work out. You know, do what you need to do. You know, give yourself a, a sense of reward and, and change your lifestyle instead of making it a diet. And that's the biggest thing he taught me because I don't know how many people you know of, they go on this diet for a month, two months, and they look phenomenal. They've done everything they needed to do, but they've restricted themselves from all these fantastic foods that they really, really enjoy and love. And then once that diet's over, a week later, they've gained half that weight back because all they've been doing is binge eating all the food that they were deprived of. That's the hard part. That's why you got to make it a lifestyle where you can cheat once in a while. You can enjoy yourself. It's not saying you can't go out and drink. You can't go out and eat the foods you want to enjoy. You can, but limit it and reward yourself instead of that. You gotta treat yourself every now and then. Oh yeah, you gotta give yourself a boost of morale. So you mentioned that after this title fight, you're you're hoping the second title forces the UFC hands. They weren't mm -hmm. interested after you, your last fight. Uh, did you have that conversation with them? You know, how did that go? So that that's actually a really funny conversation, at least in my eyes. It's sad, but it's funny. Um, we called Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, which are the two matchmakers. Mick Maynard is my guy for the flyweights. Mm -hmm. We call Mick, and he goes. So who's Jose Shorty Torres? I go, oh, yeah, this is a great start. Ah, all right, Sean Shelby, hey, how you doing? And he goes, hey, man, you're great. Like, you're doing everything we wanted you to do. We wanted you to fight Pedro Nover. That's your UFC deal-making fight. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, perfect. But you did too well. What? He goes, 
dude, we wanted to see you come back from adversity. We wanted to see you struggle one, two rounds, get your butt kicked, and then somehow come back and look phenomenal like a Disney movie. Hey, that's great. I've seen some fighters do that. But one, that's really dangerous. And two, hun, don't you want a show? Don't you want a Cody Garbrandt knocking everyone out? Didn't hurt Mike Tyson. Yeah, it's like that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to knock everyone out and, and put on a show, something you guys want, mainly with the excitement in the flyweight division. You don't have any. I want to be that poster boy for the flyweights. Even if I lose a fight, I want to say I put on a show and tried my best. You know, that's what you guys want. That's what I'm trying to give. They go, eh, you did too well. Do it again. Mm. It's like, oh, cool. Later on that week, Ian McCall's opponent backs out because of family problems. So I go, oh, it's awesome. Like, that's my way in. No one's going to fight a top six guy um, in a two-week notice. That's very rare, mainly in the 125-pound division because of how much weight we have to cut. Mm-hmm. I call Mick Maynard. He goes, dude, we don't want you right now. <laughs> All right, fine. So they end up getting somebody else to, to take the spot, and then the fight got canceled. So for me, I go, you know what? Let's put him in a situation where it's super hard to deny me. If I get two belts, it was hard to deny Conor McGregor. It was hard to deny Tom the Fire Kid for, I believe, it's David um, Branch. Yeah, all these guys. You know, so if I do it and these guys got called up for it, then why won't I get called up? You know, it's going to be hard to deny me. And if you deny me, then sure, then I'll keep on doing what I have to do and, and, and make my own legacy some way. It seems like a, an end to a mean, this two-title thing, but it's become such a trend now. You get to the UFC, is that a goal again, or do you feel like, I've done that, I don't need to do it again? Um, you know, hopefully I win this 35-pound belt and I move up, and I've been called for other promotions that I could possibly be making, be making so much more money, but that's not what I'm trying to do right now. Excuse me, the UFC is, is, the, is right now um, the best promotion in the world, at least promotion-wise and all that stuff. Everyone knows the UFC. I think it's the biggest landmark for me to be a role model. That's all I want to do. If I become a champion in the UFC, that's phenomenal. I love it, but that's not my goal. My goal is to inspire other people to say, hey, man, this guy's on TV. He's doing his thing. He accomplished the goals that he said he was going to do in high school. Man, I'm still in the same place. Oh, man, i got to change my life up. Where the kids growing up, the kids that I'm going to talk to later today, they're going to go, oh, man, this guy's on TV, and he's from the neighborhood. He used to do drugs, drink, or, or be a little gangbanger too. Then man, I could do it too. Like, oh, I can stop doing all the stuff that I'm doing now and do the same thing and, and be a role model to other people. That's what I want. And that's the message I'm trying to spread is I want to be a hero like the cartoons were to me when I was younger. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming in and talking to us. That, I mean, it, that positive message is the best way to end. There's so much positivity that seems around you from uh, your relationship with Lou, who's been on our show. He's a good friend. Uh, he's a super upbeat, positive guy. You seem like you have nothing but positivity around you. The Jackson Wink story. Uh, really kind of stands out with these kids. So best of luck to you at uh, Titan FC 44, right? Ah, 43. 43, May 19th, going for the second title. And uh, after you win, you'll have to come back in and we can we can hear all about how that night unfolded. 